This audio podcast is available in several places. On YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, CastBox, Overcast, etc. Or you can just add the RSS feed to your podcast player or download the MP3 audio file from my website. If you're listening to the podcast, for example, on iTunes, I would appreciate a rating and a review. And on YouTube, subscribe to my channel and click the notification bell icon. If you enjoy a podcast episode, a like is always welcome. As are any comments or questions you may have, which you can add in the comment section below each episode, for example, on YouTube. Thank you. Cheers. Although, uh, if people don't like, they're going straight down into David Jones's locker, so they better click the like button. Welcome to the Sim Racing Perspectives podcast for Friday, the 11th of October 2019. I'm delighted to be joined by Niels Husinkfeld. I hope I got that correctly, Niels, from Husinkfeld Engineering. Hello, Niels, and thank you very much for joining the show. Hi, Davey. Uh, glad to be here. And the pronunciation was uh, 8 out of 10. <laughs> yeah, not bad at all. <laughs> I have to keep practicing. Now, Niels, um, I think I think the, the name, for those of us who are big into sim racing and sim racing hard, hardware and, of course, Automobilista, uh, the, the name Husingfeld is, is synonymous with sim racing and sim racing hardware, more specifically, like I said. So, Niels, um, with the format of the show, usually I start with um, getting to know a little bit more about the person and in relation to sim racing, how they actually got started. So can you tell us how did you get started in in the in sim racing video gaming itself? And then we'll talk about the hardware business later on. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm 40 years old now. So trying to remember all those things is getting harder every every year. Uh, but it's it's does go back a very long time. I remember my dad used to work in Amsterdam and he all, we didn't live there, but he worked there. So every day there was a traffic jam. So he wanted to work more from home. Yeah. And then one day he brought home a PC. Uh, it was a four, uh, what, 4.7 megahertz XT, one of those, you're, you're talking 1987-ish, I think, when he, when he uh, got it. Yeah. So a really long time ago, he had one of those green... Hercules phosphor glow in the dark Chernobyl screens. Yes. With 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 uh, more smearing than than any any anything you can imagine. Yeah. So that's that's sort of my my introduction at home to uh, to a computer. Uh, my friends had like uh, consoles and Commodore 64s, uh, but once we had our own uh, system, I somehow asked my brother. Uh, are there any games for this? And I think the first racing game he brought home was the first uh, absolute first test drive, which is a 1987 game. Of course, test drive has gone on for uh, and sort of stopped as well. That's true. Uh, test drive but, unlimited, indeed. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So the first test drive was really old school, very very weird, and and but I, I liked the idea of of playing those games, and that's how it kind of started. And I don't know what triggered it, what sort of how the stars aligned that day that made me in, uh, be into racing. But I always liked the idea of playing racing games more than uh, any other type of game. Yeah. 
So that that's where where it started, and then it just uh, pretty soon actually still on that system. Uh, I wanted to have like a steering wheel, but I was like ten years old and had no skills whatsoever. But I was always trying something uh, when I was like twelve years old. We went to the sort of high school, and we had like activities there, and you could uh, use like a saw and some wood. So I came up with something that moved the joystick left and right, sort of a steering wheel that I made out of wood. It was totally terrible and some Technic Lego. <laughs> and by turning the steering wheel, the yeah. joystick would move left and right. And that worked about five minutes before it completely came apart. But sort of the, the hardware, the, the, the desire for hardware and playing games uh, was, was there from uh, quite an early age. So that's, and it just never went away. And luckily, PCs got better uh, at, in the early 90s. We had the Microprose Grand Prix, amazing game. My uh, keyboard, I don't know if you played that game, uh, throttle was A and uh, braking was Z and and the comma and the point arrow keys were steering. Yeah. And all we, the letters on, forced, on them were faded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so all, all the, the, the letters on the keyboard were faded because we pressed yeah. it so hard and so long yeah. that you, you couldn't read the letters anymore. And then slowly, you know, uh, more uh, hardware came into play with uh, Thrustmaster Wheel, the T2, that I recently bought again, actually, on uh, on the Dutch eBay. I don't know if you, uh, perhaps I, you saw I, a video. I, of I, the, I did. Uh, I was going to, actually, it's on my notes. It's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. Go on. So, yeah, I just had a sip of coffee. Yeah. Uh, like I said, well, we can do this all night on, on, on this uh, very nicely brew, brewed black stuff anyway so yeah uh, the hardware came uh, into play it got better and by that time we were up to uh, grand prix 2 uh, which i really should play again because this was quite far ahead of its uh, of its time so i thought i was brilliant at, at playing the games which was youthful uh, exuberance i guess yeah and then before long it was 1998 and we got grand prix legends uh, that's sort of the the, the pivotal major sim um shall, shall i just ramble on or yeah, go, yeah, it's, <laughs> all right it's, it's fascinating go ahead yep yep i was subscribed to uh, a magazine now for the for the young uh, listeners there was a time in in the past when uh, internet wasn't really so much of a thing and oh. people actually bought gaming magazines to read the latest reviews of uh, games and, and hardware and stuff like that and I was subscribed to PC Zone, an uh, English magazine. I remember. And they yeah. had like uh, a cover CD. Every month you got a CD with demos and stuff. Exactly, yeah. And without the internet, you couldn't download anything. So this, this was your source of, of new games. And on that CD, I'm quite sure it was uh, Need for Speed 3, I think. There was a demo of that and also Grand Prix Legends. But... By that time, I wasn't so much into uh, the Papyrus stuff because I enjoyed the first IndyCar game, mm -hmm. but IndyCar 2 was sort of more of the same. It looked better, but the physics weren't really that different. I think with, with, with Dave Kemmer, the, the, the guy behind the physics of iRacing and uh, NASCAR racing and IndyCar racing, the first couple of games he did from 89 up until Grand Prix Legends, I wouldn't say the physics engines were identical, but they were sort of 15 frames per second inferior technology 
So I expected Grand Prix Legends to be just like IndyCar 2, but then with old cars that I didn't know anything about and were probably terrible. Yeah. So I tried to uh, install the demo, but it didn't work. It missed uh, like a D DLL file, so I couldn't even run it. Oh. But the game I was interested in was Need for Speed. And I tried to install that, and it was missing the same DLL file. So it was Need for Speed that drove me to finding that missing DLL file in my Windows folder somewhere. And once I got it, I figured, well, since Need for Speed works now, I might just as well give uh, Grand Prix Legends, Legends a go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I vividly remember uh, hooking up the wheel, and the, the sound was like, I almost get goosebumps now. Just like, it, it wasn't good by today's standards, but I was in the pits revving the engine, and the car rocked uh, on its suspension from revving the engine. And that somehow was wow. And then it was Watkins Glen. And if you haven't played the old Watkins Glen, uh, there's those really quick left-right uh, S's. But in the old days, then it was a very long straight over sort of a blind crest. And then you had to brake for a very long right-hander. Mm -hmm. And I vividly remember pressing the brakes, locking all four tires and crashing and ending up upside down in a hay bale. And I've never had a bigger smile on my face yeah, exactly. Uh, as that because you could lock the brakes and it was immersive. And that was the start of like the, the really serious uh, sim racing. But it's already 21 years ago. And what wheel were you using at that time? Do you remember? What, what unit was it? Um, that was still the Frostmaster T2. Yeah. So imagine a pretty terrible, well, by for this day, it was good, but after a couple of years of use, the potentiometers were worn out. So Jeez, it yeah. had seen, uh, it had peaked uh, a year or two before uh, attempting to play Grand Prix Legends with it. Yeah. And there wasn't even force feedback, of course, at that time. Uh, no, no, definitely. And and even the, the wheel that I had, the Frostmaster, it used a bungee cord. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Elastic cord. And yeah. it was just a poor design. So after about two weeks of playing with the wheel, it was sort of permanently stretched and you didn't feel any sort of resistance until you got like to 45 degrees of, of steering lock. So yeah. pretty, pretty poor, really. But I guess it kind of it goes back to, you know, you, you make use of what you have at the time. Like you talked about driving with the keyboard and using A and Z keys. And I, I can remember playing a Formula One style game and I can't remember what it was called, but I always remember I was like 12 or 13 at the time and I had a, I had a Spectrum PC and I remember looking at the cover artwork and thinking to myself, why doesn't it look like this, you know? Because it was like, yeah. you know, it, and I even, like I even had a black, I had, my mom had a black and white TV kicking around. So I didn't even, I don't think I even realized the game was actually in color, you know? And, and I, but I remember, I distinctly remember thinking, why doesn't it look like this? So that's why I think, I, th I think that's why I'm so intrigued now with the technology because, you know, you have force feedback, you have the sound, you have the physics and everything. And it goes back to like, you know, driving Watkins, like you said, driving Watkins Glen in the demo of Grand Prix Legends and then locking the car and turning it over. And you're like, whoa, this is cool. And, and then that's where the kind of the, 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 the passion and, and the desire to do more kind of started from, isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, as well, Grand Prix Legends was, you could probably call it the last like revolution in sim racing. Since then has been evolution. Yeah, but true. But up until then, lots of things were missing. With, with Grand Prix Legends, at, well, not at the start, but eventually they added force feedback. 
uh, it had like a good physics engine for for its time. Yeah. Uh, independent suspension and a reasonable AI. Online racing against nineteen other people. If you had like something newly fangled as uh, ADSL or uh, or cable, but it was so far ahead of its time. And I think since then it's gotten a lot better, but all the building blocks were almost in place with, with GPL. And before that, yeah, you were, uh, you had such big leaps going from like Grand Prix one, uh, in 1991, the Geoff Cram and, uh, Microprose grain game yes. to Grand Prix two in 1995. That was a major step. There's telemetry and stuff in there. That's why I wish to, uh, find some time to play it again, because it's amazing how you can look at all your traces for suspension and speed and stuff in a game from 1995. It's uh, so you had like big evolutions, revolutions every few years. And that sort of stopped uh, because we had 3D acceleration by that point. It's, it's way, way better than it was then, of course, but the building blocks were kind of the same. You could see what they were trying to achieve. And indeed, if you talk about, if you talk to anybody who was gaming back in the day particularly racing everybody talks about the jeff jeff Cramon games now in terms of your your background in engineering i mean at home in your family i mean uh, was your dad or your family were, were they thinking around with, with with cars and motorcycles and 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 did you go to university and study mechanical engineering or where you know in in terms of your 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 physics work which we'll get on to later where, where what's your background there or how did you get started with that uh, well, education-wise, in my family, it's fun, funny that you mentioned is my family like uh, into into cars or, or tinkering and, mm. and mechanics. No, not at all. <laughs> Completely the opposite, actually. We had a very rusty, tiny, uh, like a little box with some spanners, and that was all all the tools we had in the home. And my, my father worked at the bank, uh, so that's a really boring uh, compared to like imagining a dad working on on, on cars or or. Yeah. getting all oily so there was no engineering at, at all in our, our family really but i liked uh, technic lego uh which is especially i think in the earlier days in the 90s uh quite a fun way to learn about transmissions and you can make cars and steering and stuff like that and springs and things like that yeah and nowadays it's, it's sort of a more large building blocks and there's a bit less individual uh, parts within there i think but it was very much fun to try and do things uh, with Technic Lego. And my father said, well, if you like Lego, perhaps some engineering type uh, career might, might be a good idea. Because when, you're, when you have to make a decision on, on what to do for, for school, you're yes. like uh, 16 or so after high school, 17. You don't know anything. Not what do I want to do? I, I had no idea really, yeah. but I like Technic Lego. And that's why I went to... Uh, not not to to university first, but a sort of a lower uh, degree, which is more hands-on, uh, and I went to do mechanical engineering. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And what what year then did you graduate from University of Mechanical Engineering? Uh, so the, the, this first mechanical engineering course was from I think nineteen ninety nine until two thousand and two. Yeah. And then I went to uh, university. Uh, which is uh, a bachelor level, so it's not a master's or a PhD or anything, but bachelor level only. Yeah. And I think I finished there 2005 or something. Okay. I yeah. I'm getting my years, I think, a bit bit, bit mixed up, but 
seems like it was probably a bit earlier, but 2004-ish. Yeah. And in terms of the program you did, was there, was there and, and I guess it's, it differs, I mean, mechanical engineering is, is a broad topic and it's similar across a course globally, but in terms of how you studied, was there any program there, like did you guys build a car together or how, how in-depth with kind of hands-on did you get? Uh, it was never really my strong point to actually build stuff. Mm. I was better at thinking of, uh, of things. But it was very good to to be, especially in this lower b- before university. Yes. Because in university, it's more you're 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 more expected to think of things and and do a bit less. Mm. Like yeah, but in the the lower grade, you were more expected to go into the workshop and go mill something or turn something or weld something. Yes. Which, despite me being terrible at all those things, it was interesting to to do that and to have some sort of a view of okay, I can think of something. But there's also a guy somewhere who has to make it. So if I think of something terribly complicated, the guy who has to make it will be angry with me. So perhaps we can simplify it a little bit. So it was very good to do, despite that was not the most difficult uh, study. It was very uh, educational to yes. see this or sort of more hands-on in the field side of mechanical engineering. Yeah. And of course, it goes to it, it leads directly to what you're doing now. Now, I'm going to slightly step back before I go forward because you told the story um, and um, recently um, Alois and Estonia Roof were on Jay Leno's Garage and I remember you telling a story and it I don't know, was it from one of your talks at the Sim Racing Expo? You had the fascination on the Nürburgring featuring the Roof CTR. You had it taped on VHS and you watched it over and over again. And then you told the story of your your mom taping over it. Was it so? Yeah, that's a sore uh, a sore point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it actually happened. Yes, I. Yeah. Uh, it must have been early nineties at that point. Yeah, my mom uh, used to tape uh, Oprah Winfrey of all of all shows. Yeah. Uh, on tape because she had to go somewhere and then she could look uh, look at it uh, later. And of course, this was. A time where people actually still used VHS to record television shows. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. Uh, the quality of VHS was quite terrible, especially if you record it over and over in, in long play. It was yeah. quite bad. But I remember uh, the Discovery Channel uh, that they were playing at least some part of the Fascination uh, Roof video. And I saw uh, this yellow thing drifting, and I sort of rushed to the VCR didn't care what tape was in. I, I pressed record. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I sort of sat, sat there drooling in front of the television. And this is yeah. so hard to understand. If you're like 20 years old, you've seen all everything. You just log in and you see it. But without the internet, uh, you these things were very special. You could never watch something that, like that exactly. or find something like no, that. You couldn't. So exactly. yeah. Yeah. seeing it on, on, on the television, uh, I was sort of, wow, this is amazing. I have to record this. Yeah. But it was somewhere halfway through and at, at whatever tape was in there at, at that point. And yeah. I cannot really blame my mother for uh, looking for a tape to uh, record her uh, talk show. And, Not at uh, all, because in a way she at did. At some she, point. Yeah. She did yeah. exactly what you did in a way. She just she, she just used the tape that was in there. And of course, that, that has happened to, to, to all of us. And uh, funnily enough, speaking of the, the fascination with uh, Roof on the Nürburgring and the internet, I actually watched it again yesterday in pre- preparation for this discussion. And it was low resolution, of course, but I was watching it and, and I was trying to wonder, like, what, what was it about 
about it that that kind of got your interest the guy was driving kind of aggressively wasn't he and 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 the the the, the car was kind of was kind of oversteering a lot and he was trying to it all was almost like he wasn't it wasn't it was almost like he wasn't trying to control the understeer. He was almost like he was forcing the car to spin out and then kind of kind of reel it back in. Or at least at least that was my impression. Yeah. Um thinking back, I really don't know what attracted me. I think at that point it was still I was twelve or thirteen at most. Yeah. Uh didn't really know that much about racing perhaps at that point just starting to uh watch some uh, formula one in the early 90s is sort of i started to watch some some of the races but not not really super into into watching racing but i i don't know i don't want to sort of sort of mystify it but it's it's as if i saw something uh on tv i think okay this guy is deliberately almost losing control but it's actually yes. in perfect control exactly and this is amazing and i want to do that exactly. in a game or yeah i'm too, too chicken to try that in real life uh, exactly. but something something triggered from this is amazing and and uh, the goosebump type of of experience watching that yeah and it's fascinating actually because fascinating pardon the pun but um alois roof was on the well i'm a jay leno and i, I linked to the video below in the description for the podcast uh, i've seen it oh you have you have indeed and, yeah. he, and he and he told the story of of how he um the company got started his father had built a bus in in post-war germany and he was driving the bus he was driving a, a charter tour for the locals and somebody was driving a porsche 356 and it crashed and and he repaired it and they sold it and it started from there and it was all it was all kind of a happy accident you know so that was i i thought that was interesting because i i i've i've learned a lot i've been i've been um doing some work for a for a motorsport promotion company here in finland and i've been trying to um understand things and i've learned a lot and 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 um because i didn't know i wanted to know and um alois ruff talked about how for example they had the longitudinally mounted uh, um intercoolers for twin turbos and stuff and he was talking about the engineering of it and and it was more interesting now because i kind of uh, understand more of of how how the car works and and also he said the how the um the 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 ctr yellowboard was five speed and they had built their own um five speed gearbox at the time because the porsche at the time was actually four speed so i thought that was interesting yeah yeah if, if you see the fascination video that the, the gear shift the throw on the shifter is is so old school it's like uh like a, a foot worth of throw in in the gear lever exactly exactly yeah so um now husingfeld is is known of course for husingfeld engineering and and currently you are selling your sim pedals of course um your simbrig gt which i guess is a um aluminum frame aluminium frame kind of 80 20 style uh rig and then you have your shifters and handbrakes so so tell us the story of uh, the husingfeld engineering how did that how did the company start or what was the origin of that um well we can actually go back to that first engineering uh, school i went to yeah. because the last year of that you sort of had to do a sort of a final project and they were open to suggest suggestions so uh, whatever you wanted to do if it if they deemed it to be of enough uh complexity and with something you can learn from it they would be fine 
And since I was playing Grand Prix Legends with my Thrustmaster that was almost broken, I asked them if I could design like a wheel and a pedal set for sim racing. Okay. And to my su surprise, they agreed. Uh, and I kind of went to design something that, in hindsight, you wonder what I was thinking at the time, but you have to start somewhere. So that was the first uh, wheel and pedal set, of course, no force feedback and just borrowing some ideas of uh, the Thrustmaster. So I also had a bungee cord for my uh, steering resistance. Uh, nice, nice sort of better bearings, though. It, it all felt a bit better. Uh, and very strange pedals that looked a lot like the, this is very uh, sort of specialist, but the Eki, ECCI is another brand of PC hardware. Yep. And way back in the early 90s, they also had sort of a weird boat handle, like throttle handle type pedals and I kind of copied those a little bit. So at the end, uh, with doing my presentation at the end of the year, I brought my PC and we actually showed Grand Prix Legends and I drove a lap with it with the wheel and pedals uh, as uh, part of the presentation. So in a way, you could probably say that... Uh, the Hösingfeld engineering almost started there with the first uh, sort of really functional thing that uh, that I designed and built. And yeah. you should be very, very, very thankful that none of the quality of that stuff ever got sold, but no. it, it had no. had to start somewhere. And what materials did you use, Niels? What did you build it out of? Uh, the most vital part of that steering wheel was the brick, literally the brick that I used to weigh it down. Yeah. <laughs> Because I had some suction cups on the bottom, but they, well, the name, as the name suggests, they suck. So that didn't work too, uh, too well. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so there was uh, some aluminium in there, yeah. over, way overly complicated for what it had to do, uh, sort of a copy of the internals of the, the Thrustmaster wheel. Yeah. With some nylon uh, bearings that I made myself on the, like the turning, the, the lathe. Yes, on the lathe, yep, called. yep. And the pedals were uh, some, uh, I think we had like uh, plasma, uh, we had a plasma cutter, uh, which is really sort of rough. It's not as nice as laser cutting. Plasma cutting is more for like two centimeter thick steel and stuff like that. But yeah. uh, we made some pedal stuff uh, out of that. And then that, the enclosure was made out of MDF, uh, sort of wood actually. Yeah. Because uh, my local uh, hardware store, uh, they were very kind people and they were always keen to uh, like use their equipment to make me something to spec to size so I've had some drawings and they made the enclosure uh, for it so a really sort of a weird copy of existing wheels and and strange materials that I only used because I had some experience with them and overly complicated poorly functioning uh, device but yeah it was the first uh, the first one the first kind of set of Hussingfeld pedals, if you will. But at least, I mean, it, the the time, it, it was the time it was and the technology you had and the, of course, the equipment you, and, and the resources you had. But I guess the, the, the idea was there. And in terms of the, the hardware you're selling now, is, is everything built by hand in the Netherlands or is it built locally? Yeah, we, we put it all together. Uh, so almost everything uh, is uh, built here in, in the Netherlands. So all the laser cutting, uh, all the most of the parts we use, try to use local suppliers. Yeah. Just because, you know, when you're growing and sometimes uh, something isn't right or a batch you get delivered isn't quite right, 
it's so much uh, easier to just mm-hmm. jump in the car and uh, pay them a visit and talk about how it should be different. Yeah. So it's of course uh, an alternative to trying to outsource as many parts to like Eastern Europe or Asia, but we sort of think, okay, we have a high-end uh, product. Yeah, it's going to cost more. Uh, it's not even necessarily better. I'm, I'm not saying that in in Eastern Europe, in Asia, they cannot make the most amazing parts. I mean, if you have a smartphone, it's probably made somewhere in in China and put together very well. But we like the idea of being literally close to uh, to a supplier. So everything, all the parts are almost almost all of them made in the Netherlands or in Germany. Yeah, and we uh, assemble everything. So it's lots of bolts and and, and washers and steel parts that we uh, put together. Yeah, yeah. And Alois Roof was talking about having uh, sixty five employees in in Roof in Germany. And um, Jay Leno was saying correctly, it's kind of it's small enough to be intimate. Intimate. How big then is is your company? If you want to tell us how. how... Uh, that depends. If you ask yesterday or ask tomorrow, it's probably uh, different. Uh, we've we've seen for some reason uh, the, the sim racing thing that's just a hobby that got out of hand is well it, it's a hobby that's getting out of hand for a lot of people yeah so in the the sim racing market is uh, is growing and we're just trying to keep up uh, that's that's pretty much how it's going and we started I was just putting them the pedals and stuff together in my spare room at home uh, yeah. and the whole point was with with Sven who runs the business with me. Actually, yes. he runs it more and I, I, I design more. He's, he does more of the running. I do more of the, the ideas. Yeah. Uh, the idea was, well, uh, if I put together a couple of pedal sets a week in my spare room and Sven, if you arrange a website and uh, with, a, with a shop and you do the support, who knows, you know, we might be able to take our girlfriends out to dinner once, once or twice a year and it'll yeah. be fun. Yeah. And before we knew it, we uh, had like, boxes of parts and pedals uh, in the bedroom and everywhere in the room uh, in the house where there was a little bit of space left so it just sort of grew quite quickly and i think now in total uh we are with about 12 people uh not everybody's full-time and there are about seven guys uh, on the assembly and then it's a part-time media guy part-time support guy and then there is uh sven who is the sort of the more the brains and the the, the business direction and do we grow, uh, who do we hire, that sort of thing, and how do we sell and, and how do we do everything like that. And we have uh, Remco Hitman, perhaps if you're in sim racing uh, and in hardware, he's uh, he built a replica uh, Tyrell P34, uh, the six-wheel, uh, you know, the six-wheel Formula 1 car from 1976. Yeah, indeed, yeah. He built like a a cockpit for sim racing out of that is quite a popular thing. He works with us as well. Uh, so yeah. it's, it's friends from sim racing, literally uh, very local uh, people, all from the city of Groningen here in the Netherlands. Yeah. Uh, we happen to get along and have the same hobby and became friends. And now uh, the three of us are sort of the, the, the running the brains of the operation. Yeah, the core of it. And how did you and Sven get to, vet, to get, get together in the start? Where did you guys meet or... How did it begin? Um, well, we, we studied in the same city here in Groningen. Ah, and okay. we yeah. we both played Grand Prix Legends because Sven was doing like economics and I was doing mechanical engineering. So we weren't in the same building and we would never have met. But Sven also played uh, GPL. And um, 
I did I did tell this story at some point, but it's interesting to to repeat. Yeah. His mother worked at the university, and this is 1999 or 2000 ish. The only places where you had proper internet, uh, like good internet speeds and, and upload, was was at places like a university. Yes. So he he snuck into his mom's office and he put the dedicated server for GPL on the system. Really. And instructed. Yeah, he instructed his mother to turn it on as he left uh, for home uh, in the evening. So we had a good server to race on. And that's, I think, how uh, it was, of course, since it was literally almost next door, the best server with the lowest ping. Yes. And enough upload so he could actually host a 19-car race, which was the limit, I think, of of GPL. Yeah. So that's how we uh, went racing and uh, sort of found out, oh, this guy is uh, very local. Perhaps we should uh, meet up at some point. Uh, and, and since then, we became uh, yeah, friends and, and seeing each other, uh, not like weekly, but this is like 20 years ago. And yes, every indeed. year, we, we saw each other a couple of times, a sim racing event or a birthday party. Yeah. So we, we, we stayed in touch. That, that's how, kind of how, how, I'm, how I met Sven and how, how that started. And, and we just kept in touch. And it was, I believe, 2012 when i was at home and i was thinking i was working for for riser studios uh for uh game stocker as it was called then, yes. mm. uh which which was a little bit of income but not a huge amount and i was also working for another company it was sort of a this, this this whole podcast will be sort of a permanent permanently getting sidetracked but there no was actually problem. another uh, yeah. A, yeah. a company in uh in the netherlands that made uh entertainment sort of driven arcadey uh, formula one simulators and they put them on uh the cruise ships uh and i think it's five years ago now when that italian uh costa concordia was its name i think the big cruise ship that capsized yes. in italy yeah those ships had on board their uh, full motion uh one-to-one scale formula one replica simulator arcade game thing yeah and they were produced locally here in uh very near groningen in the netherlands yeah and some guy found out that that company existed and told me hey Niels, that company exists and i was doing a little bit of physics and engineering at the time yes and i thought well let's just shoot them an email and who knows and i said well i'm doing a bit of physics i don't know what you're doing but you know just wanted to introduce myself yeah and it didn't take that long for them to uh, invite me because this arcade Formula One thing that they had was all good and well, but they were trying to develop a simulator more for police and ambulance and fire department sort of stuff. Yeah. And they needed their physics to be more realistic. So they were actually looking for somebody who un- understood it more or less. Yeah. And that was sort of a part-time thing for me. And then Riser Studios started as well. So I had... At that point, I could quit my sort of non-racing job and focus purely on Riser Studios and this uh, company in uh, the Netherlands making the, the cruise ship and police ambulance simulators. Which later sunk. <laughs> yeah, 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 I came yeah. to it, and yeah. as did the company uh, very recently, actually. So that's a, a bit ah, sad. but That's a shame, yeah. yeah. It's a topic for another uh, lengthy yeah. discussion, I think. Another but... discussion. And how did so you... At that point... Go ahead, yeah. go ahead, Neil. Sorry, go ahead, yeah. Yeah, I, I I can talk forever. I'm 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 sure by it won't take long for you to regret inviting me because this will never end. And I'm all. sorry if I if it comes across like that. It's just... Not at all. Not at all. It's it's all fascinating. Go on. Yeah. 
I, I'm sort of remembering things as we talk as well. Yeah, so it's that's how it goes. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. So I had that part-time job uh, with uh, that company and with Riser Studios, and together it was sort of minimum wage, which I was completely content with because I was doing something I liked. Yeah, exactly. But it was both very part-time and I had some time left. Yeah. And I thought, well, it's been a while, but at, somewhere in my backpack is this engineering degree. Why don't I try and perhaps make some pedals? Because the ones I had back then were sort of at the end. And I thought, well, perhaps we can do something better. So I just drew something up and, and, and started working on that because I had lots of time uh, besides okay. the two part-time jobs. I see what you mean, yeah. Hmm. And then on one of those, you know, couple times a year parties where I, I always met Sven, uh, he saw what I was doing and he said, well, you know, how about we do this bit for fun, but a little bit more seriously. And that's how it sort of took off in uh, 2013. We had the first, uh, the pro pedals and the ultimate pedals. And I think we made a batch of 20 of each and just opened our web shop and, uh, had no idea what was going to happen and what happened was uh, about i think four days or two days later we were sold out and that made us think well this this was only supposed to be a bit of fun uh in yeah. uh, like part time but like a this test could, so to speak yeah mm. yeah this could become something yeah and since then it's just uh, kept on uh, growing yeah and if if somebody told you about the company uh, locally in the netherlands building the simulator for the italian ship how did you then uh, get in contact with Renato and the guys from Reitzer? How did that come about? Uh, well, uh, Renato, of course, was modding for uh, R-Factor. Yeah. I think his main his main uh, thing was the GP79, so the old Formula 1 cars. Uh, pretty popular mod at the time. He did the physics there. And I think he remembered me mostly from uh, a complaint I, I, I sent him in a personal message at the forum or an email. I might have it somewhere. Yeah. Because at that time, a, a lot of what I do, uh, and I think what lots of people do, is sort of driven out of slight frustration. Because if there's no reason to improve something, then why would you try and improve something? So I was a little frustrated because... I love the, the era of cars, like the 70s Formula 1, amazing. But always with, with Sims at the time, oversteer was hard to control. Mm. And being youthful and, and not doubting my own skill at all, it must be the physics. Uh, that's what I sort of, well, not, not thought exactly, but I still thought, well, perhaps these physics are somehow resulting in oversteer being too difficult and snappy and... You cannot really drift. You cannot do uh, the fascination roof video, which sort of got me into like liking the idea of doing all those things. And exactly, yeah. you couldn't power slide and you couldn't control it properly, I thought, yeah. without any, any sort of knowledge and no real experience or knowledge about vehicle dynamics at all. It just just youthful stupidity, stupidity making me feel uh, like that. And I was a bit frustrated. I, I wanted to like exit the hairpin at Montreal. I wanted to exit it sideways in second gear and I kept spinning and I couldn't control it. So I think I sent Renato sort of an, not angry, but a, a comment like, why is it, why is it like that? And shouldn't it be more like this? So that's, I think our first introduction. And I started modding myself uh, for R factor, being frustrated and having a desire. I think this was my first thing. 
I want to power slide out of that hairpin at Montreal in the Formula One car, late 70s. Yeah. Be opposite lock, full full throttle with a big grin on my face. That was the very yeah. easy goal I, uh, I set for myself there. Yeah. Which went terribly wrong because... If you look at the physics files, there are so many numbers. And back then I had very, very little knowledge at all. I still do, uh, but it's a lot more than, than it was. So I didn't know what, how tires worked or what a suspension even looked like. And yet here I was editing all the numbers and trying to, to find the needle in the haystack, which is uh, how modding was and sometimes still is for some people, but that's just not the way you achieve uh, good results. Yeah. So I was getting a little frustrated. And then I started to make like physics tools uh, using Excel because spreadsheet, as you know, is my my favorite game. It's not on <laughs> Steam, but it's called Excel. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, I, I, I believe, I believe um, you know, there's a, say like uh, teachers are born, not made uh, in a way or, you know, a kind of way the people who can who can apply themselves to teaching. I believe people who are good in Excel are born, not made, if you know what I mean. Because uh, I, I have a little bit of knowledge, but I'm more on the artistic side. So I on, I can only go so far, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I always love the numbers. And the first time I, I used Excel properly was uh, back in engineering, this time at university. Yes. Because the final, this is a, another incredible uh, sidetrack where this train is sort of derailing again. But it's, all, but, but it's all, no, it's all related. Go ahead. Yep. Yep. So we had to design uh, like a mechanism for trucks. Yes. They have like this hook, hook arm system where they can sort of, sort of, it can pivot back and then pick up a, like a container and drag the container uh, onto the truck. It's yes. an existing system. You might've even seen it. There are various systems that do that. Yes. And we had the, the task of redesigning that in aluminium because they're all steel. And there was this engine, this guy somewhere who thought, well, aluminum is lighter, so it's better. And that means we have more payload available for uh, the stuff that actually goes into the containers and is meant to be transported uh, by the truck. And this mechanism has like hinges and, and pivot points and forces, and there are like uh, hydraulic actuators on there. And getting like a good picture of the forces in the mechanism is quite important because that means like what sort of a load are we seeing yeah. how strong do all mm -hmm. the parts have to be and it's quite a puzzle because you can mount the angles a little differently the pivot points a little differently and then all the forces will be different and calculating all that by hand is is very tedious and time consuming and if you've finished it then you've only had one case but there are a thousand options how you mount it exactly and where you mount it so I, I tried to make a spreadsheet that sort of had like the dimensions of all the parts and the hinges, the, the points in there. And I could just change it on the fly and see my forces in the various components to get a rough idea of what sort of a geometry might work best. Yes. And I'm very sure, almost sure that there were many calculation errors in this spreadsheet. Uh, plus the whole concept of making this system out of aluminum was pretty bad idea and it didn't work in the end but it sort of made me think well this spreadsheet stuff is not just uh, handy for doing your taxes but if you put the formulas in you can change the parameters and you see the outcome without having to calculate everything it's it seems so obvious now because that's what a spreadsheet is but 
it opened my eyes a little bit to the possibilities. So with that knowledge in 2007-ish, uh, R-Factor was out and I was a bit frustrated with how the cars drove. Uh, I started to think, well, all these numbers in these, in these physics uh, text files, I don't understand them. Why not try to make a spreadsheet tool that simplifies the, the process? Mm. And that's how it really slowly got started. So uh, coming up with, with certain ways to make tires and, and edit the, the properties based on the tire size and give it a bit more grip. The tire was bigger. Slowly but surely, some, some tools came out of my hands that were very buggy. But the idea was to simplify the process. So you weren't changing a number. You were changing something that you understood and it spit out whatever number that was, but you weren't yes. really looking at individual numbers anymore. Yes. You were doing a calculation on the fly, so to speak. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And instead of just guessing a number, you first thought of some logic, perhaps a small tire has a grip of one and a big tire has a grip of two, whatever that logic was. And then I just made a tire of a certain size and it would look at the formula and okay, this tire is 1.4 and the back, the rear tire is 1.6, something like that. Like, yeah. Not guessing the number, but but coming up with the number from a sort of a logical table or a formula. And that made it more consistent. And it also uh, started to output because a lot of what people do is, I think, driven by laziness. For me, definitely. And it's so easy to make a typo in these very long text files with lots and lots of numbers. If you forget a bracket or a comma, the game will crash and you don't know what just happened. And you're chasing your, your files and then you find a missing number or a missing bracket. So with Excel, you can also export text files once you figure that out. Indeed. So it would mm. write the entire file for me with no uh, no like typos and errors. So when it was crashing, I knew for one thing for sure, it's not because of the missing commas and stuff like that. So that really built up and up and up until it was a system where you could create an entire car just in in Excel, export the physics files, and start the sim and, and, and drive it. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So that's how I had that. And then uh, I think uh, we had uh, Corvette C6 mod for R-Factor. Yeah. Together with uh, Sim Anouk, who's very good with uh, graphics. He worked with Racer, another sort of open-ish uh, racing game back uh, back in the day. Excellent 3D modeler. So he made the, the model, uh, the 3D model, and I did the physics. That was the first car made partially with uh, with spreadsheet tools and it was re received quite well and i think renato saw that and my progress there which went on to uh, the historics mod uh, with the old touring cars and stuff like that yeah uh, i did was a part of that as well and then we had multiple cars from the same spreadsheet so it wasn't just saving one car but i could make uh, a whole cl class of cars there were like nine TC-76, whatever the, the, the group of cars was called, uh, vehicles. And they all came from the same spreadsheet. So I was changing things like the tires and just setting certain rules. Like I said, small tire has this grip, a big tire has that grip. Those sort of rules were in the spreadsheet. And all the cars just looked at the rules. And then the number came back, okay, this is my tire. And that's why a Porsche would have a different tire because it had different size tires than the Corvette. Yeah. And that sort of automated the process and it made it a lot easier to tune nine cars together, which were all sort of related, but also unique and different because they all came from the spreadsheet. And I think Renato saw that and he thought, well, I'm good at physics too, but if we're going to make a game 
uh, game Stockar. Uh, Renato was also managing everything, almost everything, so he had a lot of things on his plate already. I guess he felt, despite uh, us having a slight argument about the GP79 mod, uh, that I came along far enough uh, with my tools and stuff that he asked me to uh, be, be a part of uh, of the physics uh, team for uh, Game Stockar. Yeah, which became Automobilista. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, and I guess that was was my was was the origin of my original question. Like, did you have a history of like tinkering with cars and motorcycles in your family? Because in my head, I kind of think, well, well, like I said, I've been learning a lot more recently about crankshafts and camshafts and and coilover suspension and and V eight and inline five and uh, rotary engines and trying to you know asking basically somebody that knows asking noob questions. And he'd say, well, there's never a stupid question. And then trying to understand it. And then I was trying to think, well, well, if you come up with a concept for taking those values into Excel and, and exporting that directly to create a physics file, which is a great idea, um, you know, trying to understand, well, okay, well, this is how suspension behaves and this is how a tire behaves and this is how weight distribution behaves. So in terms of, you know, you like you said, you're kind of making it up as you go along to a degree, but in, in terms in terms of validating your values, is it just is it just you playing the game and, and thinking, well, this is I like how it feels, or do you need then to get a an actual race driver for that specific car to test it out? And how do you kind of you know, you're you're kind of putting you have your mechanic you have your mechanical engineering background, you have your skills in Excel, and you have the games that you play and the experience that you know you 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 have. There's you and Renato and so on. How do you then how do you then put kind of put it together as a, as a finished product, if you know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. Uh, that the answer to that sort of evolved uh, with. The years, because like you just said, you learn a little bit about an engine or suspension. It was exactly the same for me, and I'm sure as well for uh, for Renato when he did physics. Yeah. At first, I was way too afraid to look at the aerodynamics. I just used the simple aerodynamics, just a wing with a force uh, on the front and on on the back. But there's also complicated diffuser uh, physics, aerodynamics in in the game, but those formulas, I didn't know them, but they all seemed very complicated to me. So I didn't even use complicated arrow for the first couple of years. By the time we got to uh, Automobilista, or sorry, Game Stockar, it was already in, but in the early years. So it's very sort of step-by-step, step, just like you just mentioned, how you slowly start to understand things a bit more. Yeah. Uh, arrow sort of got in there, and then uh, the tires were getting more, I understood more how they worked in the game. Because it was sort of very uh, hard to figure it out because they didn't give you a lot of information with R-Factor. Just some very short comments in, in the files that you sort of have to unravel yourself how it actually worked. Hmm. Uh, and so then bit by bit, things got, got added. And only once most of the puzzle pieces were in place, so I kind of knew re reasonably sure how the game actually came up with all the forces and stuff. And I sort of was a bit less incompetent grasping aerodynamics and, and suspensions. Then you sort of know a little bit about every part of the car, just a little bit, but you know it from, from the tire to the engine to the drivetrain. 
aerodynamics, everything sort of isn't that scary anymore. And then uh, a, a lot of the time when you make a, a racing car for a driver or in, in some cases for, uh, for Automobilista and Game Stock Car, we got some telemetry from the real car. Ah, of course. Uh, yeah. Because Renato is, of course, very close to to the Brazilian series. So he, I think he just used his, uh, his charm to uh, talk to some of the Formula 3 drivers, for example. And he got some data from their data logging, yeah. which we could open. So I could see in, at, at a good track like Interlagos, uh, they break here and this is the G-force that they pull. Okay, yeah, and of course, yeah. That, that's not in itself a starting point because you don't put G-forces in, in your physics file. You put weights and grip and, and, and everything. It goes through the suspension and the arrow. And at, yes. at the end, you get a grip level, but it helps uh, to fine-tune the grip level and the arrow to the point where uh, we could see, for example, oh, we're breaking later and still making the corner. And you can see from the real data, they are fighting lockup without, uh, you know, breaking as late as we do. So they have less G-force. So perhaps we have to look at aerodynamics or tires. There's always a question uh, what the final fuel percent is because there are many ways to, many incorrect ways to arrive at something that looks quite good when you compare telemetry like that. So there's always a little bit of insecurity and uncertainty when you do those things. But it also helps when you get like the data from the manufacturer. And in, in the case of Formula 3 cars, they are made by the Lara, yes. pretty well-known. I mean, yeah. they make everything, every single seater that isn't Formula 4 or Formula 1, I think is mostly uh, from the Lara factory. Yeah. And, and when you buy a Formula 3 car, you get uh, a manual with it, which has like the suspension, picker points and the weights and the gear ratios and all all sorts of stuff so that helps because those become facts so you enter the numbers like the gear ratio you get a torquer for the engine perhaps the more you know for fact and the more you can take as fact the easier it becomes because at some point all you're left with is tires and aerodynamics and aero at some point you also get some data for from the wind tunnel scale model wind tunnel they use at the lara but you can trust that reasonably well. So then your only real tuning point becomes tires because data for that doesn't exist or isn't always one-to-one uh, -one relatable with uh, real life. So the more data we had from the telemetry from the real thing and from the manufacturer, the fewer guessing points we had and it, the better it was to, uh, to work with. And a great testimony to the physics engine as well. Uh, that when, when you put the real stuff in, you not only get the output that looks a lot like the telemetry as if it came from the real car, mm -hmm. but it also feels, which is always subjective to some point, but to a, a combination of driver and sim racer feels convincing and, and, and realistic to them. Yeah, because it's a simulation and basically you don't have the, the G-forces indeed, even with a, a motion rig, it's limited, but you have the... You have the on-screen cues, you have the audio, and you have, of course, the feedback from the wheel. And, of course, the, 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 the level of the quality of hardware differs a lot. Is it a fair point to say that you may have learned more about how a car actually works in terms of suspension geometry and weight transition by kind of figuring it out from the simulation point of view and then getting the telemetry data 
and then the manual for the car which had the the mathematical values of the you know the the limits of what the car can do so is it fair is it a fair question to say that you you learned more about the mechanisms of an automobile by starting out with simulation if you know what i mean yeah that's in fact that's the only way i figured anything out about how how cars work yeah because prior to that going into this with with the sort of youthful confidence i'm gonna fix r factor and i'm gonna make it perfect i didn't know anything and that really came slowly and it helps a lot uh, because you cannot you you need sort of a a skeptical and and sometimes logically thinking brain but getting data for a car is of course excellent because those are some knowns and when you're working exactly. with physics and, and, and engineering uh it's you want as little unknowns as possible preferably one then you can solve it so that yeah that helped a lot and especially uh things like aerodynamics at some point perhaps we understood how it worked in the game but how much downforce does a car have you know we can have all these ride height dependent uh, aerodynamics it's all good and well but how much downforce do you lose be, uh, from running it too high or too low yeah that that becomes the next question. So understanding the formulas is great. You can make anything you want. If you want a car that, like a Formula One car that needs eight centimeters of rake to get its maximum downforce, I can do that now with my tools in 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 four minutes. But we don't know what the real thing would have. So it's always a, a fight between having to make assumptions because you never know everything. Yeah. But you cannot just like uh, randomly guess it you still have to try and make an educated guess so the more data you have and over the years i've been fortunate enough to work with uh, formula 2 formula 3 uh, well i'm I'm still more more uh, comfortable calling a gp2 gp3 uh, formula 3 all the sort of the the pretty high-end classes that just not have one i've seen the data for all those cars so that gives you a framework of this is sort of the the properties of tires and aerodynamics from entry level single seaters all the way to uh, pretty high-end gp2 cars and then knowing those sort of limits if you then have to make a formula 4 car or somebody has another single seater it's probably somewhere in the region of the data that we have yes it doesn't have to be but at least when you make a guess at that point you have sort of a framework within where you think your guess is sort of educated instead of just randomly uh, randomly guessing something yeah because i was thinking the the recent car launched by studio 397 for r factor 2 you have the porsche 911 cup car which has less aerodynamic qualities than the gte 911 or the gt3 911 and i was thinking like well if you have a gt car with less aero and you have to simulate that in a title and then you have let's say a 2010 formula one car let's say like the formula v that's in ams and you with with you know it's a, it's a it's a single seater car with with wings and, and so on you know like kind of like I, I, it fascinates me like where do you start from you'll have the aero uh, capabilities of the single seater with the wings and then you'll have the you have the capabilities of the cup car which has <laughs> no abs no traction control and very little aero you know what i mean yeah uh, there as well uh Thankfully, uh, over the years, with, with just, of course, we had Ryzen Studios, GameStalker, Automobilista, but I was also making physics models for R-Factor for racing drivers and, and race teams. Yeah. So my f- first uh, 
job there was with uh, Arden, the GP2, GP3 uh, team in, in the UK. Sort of the Red Bull, uh, I think the father of uh, uh, Horner is uh, running the GP2, GP3 team. Yeah. So they were looking to upgrade their uh, simulator in 2010. And I was still young and, and cocky. So I said, I can help you with that. Uh, I, I did actually, because they, they came from something that didn't work too well. So luckily I had uh, the enough skill to improve it from, from what they had. But that was some of the gigs besides uh, Game Stockar. Okay. And it wasn't it wasn't just uh, single seater teams, but also GT drivers over the years. Yeah. And I'm always looking for for data online, like tire data and yeah. all. Uh, it's not sometimes you think that online it's all very polarized, so people like Assetto Corsa or hate it. But the developers are actually quite friendly to each other. So I. I wouldn't say frequently, but every now and then talk to uh, Aris from uh, Assetto Corsa, the yes. physics guy, mm -hmm. and to uh, physics guys from R Factor 2. You know, have you seen anything? Oh, hey, I've got this question. How, uh, how do I do that? Uh, have you seen any data for that? And uh, special mention should go to uh, Todd, Todd Wasson. Mm -hmm. uh, I never know how to pronounce it. He uh, did the physics for uh, Virtual RC. I don't know if you saw that. It's like a radio controlled car simulator yes i've seen yeah, it yeah it's, it's a few years old now but yeah he's really hardcore into physics so whenever i didn't know how something worked i had a group of people who i could ask and uh sometimes they would uh, have something for me yeah. so at some point i got uh, some gt uh, tire data from uh, a guy who now works for studio 397 actually okay interesting um uh, so you sort of give things to each other and then you you see oh this is how gt tires might work and then at some point i had a porsche cup customer actually uh, i think it's six or seven years ago so then you get some telemetry from a porsche cup car at uh, i don't know which track it was but then you have telemetry for that so you know well this is the g-force they get yeah and you get the car manual and porsche is very secretive so it doesn't include enough nearly enough data to make a perfect simulation mm. and i think uh, our factor 2 team is very good at trying to find the right people uh, in Stuttgart to ask for the data, because I think they got uh, quite a bit of it. Yes. But it's very hard to, so, to get yeah. data sometimes. Yeah. So, but that's, so I had like a single seated database, but also did some GT and touring cars and had some telemetry from a whole bunch of different racing cars and classes. So you get a point cloud sort of, of data points from touring cars to single seaters and still missing, but it, it's sort of a, an area of performance where you can almost guess the car to be in almost. Yeah, exactly. And that, yeah. that gives you a good starting point. Yeah. Uh, so that's slowly, but surely the data came in and it's not just the data, but also doing this for at that point, five or six years, you become more confident, uh, correctly or, or rightly or not, but you learn a little bit more about how the physics engine works. And you get a bit more confident uh, and, and sometimes you have to take a dive uh, into one direction hoping it's correct because you just haven't got enough data for that specific part or your knowledge is lacking but yeah. there was more and more over the years more and more data that came in from real drivers and telemetry and manufacturers and my experience grew and borrowing a lot of information from fellow physics guys and developers in, mm. in, the, in the gaming scene I guess it. I guess over time, with your experience, like you said, it gives you the ability to be in the position position to make a an educated guess, shall I say, or more of it, or more educated guess. 
or a, a more yeah. a, more exact approximation. And the, the the back to the team you you were working for in the UK were they using uh, R factor R the original R factor was that the basis of their simulator? It was. Yeah, yeah, and I think up until just a few years ago, uh, I don't know how it is nowadays, but all the racing teams uh, outside of Formula One or big manufacturer uh, NASCAR or, or something like that or, or LMP. They were all using uh, R-Factor yeah. because it was quite open and they could mess with it and get it to behave a little bit better. Uh, so yeah, that, that's the go-to uh, simulator. And I haven't be really been doing much uh, of that work the last couple of years. So I don't mm. know if they've all migrated to other platforms or not. I think it's R-Factor be... Pro, actually, they might be using it. Well, kind of... yeah, that, that might sound like uh, an obvious thing, but R-Factor Pro is... is pro uh, in, in in more ways than what it can do it's also quite expensive uh, yeah. mm. in in some way and I, yeah. I don't really know how expensive it even uh, is at the moment yeah. but back then uh, and and still now racing is often seen as oh there's lots of money going around but outside of formula one there is really no money at all That's true. Uh, teams mm. like uh, the gp2 and and formula 3 teams are just happy to get enough budget from the drivers to run for another year mm. so they cannot spend 50 grand or or even 10 grand or five grand a year on, on on the simulator it all has to be part-time using relatively affordable uh, software and that's why they stuck with uh, r factor one yeah and it's also that there are, there are so many people that understand it and i think a, a, a fellow a fellow dutchman it was rudy van buren who won the um mclaren world's fastest gamer he has been He's been simulation testing for McLaren, of course, big budgets, like you say, and I think they're using uh, R Factor Pro. Now, I just uh, so I, I don't forget my questions that I have notes here. The recent content that Ryza did for uh, R Factor 2, um, and this is a precursor to the uh, Automobilista 2, did you, were you working with the guys on the content that they did recently for R Factor 2 on any level? No, I was completely uh, not involved, and it's also something that we've we put the record straight a while ago because people were thinking, ah, Niels is the guy who does ah, all the okay. physics for for yeah. Autobolista. Yeah. But like we mentioned, Renato was a physics guy himself, and he Indeed. knows his way around uh, the parameters as well. So we always uh, did it together. Uh, some cars I haven't even touched at all; they were completely done by Renato, and some cars are ninety-five percent done by me. But Renato always did the AI tweaking and then some final grip tweaks and arrow tweaks and, and stuff like that. So we, it was certainly not just a one-man uh, one job. Yeah. And it's more, uh, I'm, I'm quite close to, uh, to R-Factor 2, the guys at Studio 397. I even worked with them for them on the, the, the Grand Tour game. Which is, ah, which was, which was, I had uh, Marcel and Rene on the show and of course, uh, 397, Studio 397, it's luminous. And indeed, they, they, they worked on the R-Fact, the, the Grand Tour game. Okay so, okay, so you were involved in that project as well? Yeah, so I'm close with the guys at R-Factor too, but I'm also very principal when it comes to, like I said, making physics tools in Excel and creating cars with the push of a button. Yeah. And the direction that sim racing seems to be taking is to add more complexity in the physics and that sounds great but the tire model in in if you would know the tire model from uh, iRacing which I don't know it's not open but it's extremely complicated and I think mm -hmm. they're at model 7 now 
and every time it's sort of one step forward one step back it's it's really complicated so I hear, and with yeah. r factor yeah r factor 2 as well has a very complicated physical tire model mm. and you just cannot work with that in the way that i think is the optimal way to get results from from your sim so it's really a balancing act because if you think well r factor 2 has this physical complex complex tire model that does this that and everything that must be amazing but the reality is also that you have a game with perhaps 25 cars in there they all have to drive consistently and nicely and if it takes you a month to develop one car that's a lot of time and if you then make a change to the to the, the engine you, you change the tire model a little bit you have to go car by car you have to go back and recreate all the all of them which is why in in iRacing they sort of introduce each new tire model sort of on a car by car basis starting with skip barber for example yeah mm. yeah and then because it's a huge amount of work I, I i imagine i don't have contact with them i don't know that but I, i'm imagining it's a lot of work to update all the vehicles to the new tire model yeah. because the tire model is very complicated and at some point the compli how complicated it is might work against it so how complicated do you want your model to be if it means you cannot iterate as much because it takes too long to make a tire versus a simpler model, which isn't very good for marketing because it's simpler, but you understand it deeply and you can create tires for a hundred cars in a week if you have to. At some point, just being able to turn them out and to hand them over to guys like, I don't know, Rudy van Buuren or Atze, uh, as a Kerkhoff, like yeah. the sim racers, and you yeah. get feedback from them, I can implement changes in, in an afternoon. So we can iterate 20 different cars in a, in a week or two, whereas if the complexity of R Factor 2 style model makes it really difficult. Uh, I don't know the model exactly, so perhaps if the physics guys from R Factor 2 are for some reason listening uh, to this, it might not even be like that anymore, but it at least used to be really complicated and time-consuming plus very hard to predict what your changes would do. Whereas with the older, simpler model, I will know exactly the direction the change will, will make. And then it's up to lots of driving and ATSA or, or good drivers having a go and then comparing the telemetry again. But it's far easier to uh, iterate and, and improve and work towards something. So. This complexity that's crept in uh, in, in uh, sim racing over the last sort of generation of sim is something I just disagree with. And my method of making cars doesn't work. So I cannot work with R-Factor 2 with that physics sim. Which is a big shame because a lot of the stuff is better. It is, yeah, it is. And it's an interesting topic because Automobilista as a game, I mean, many people will say it's kind of the hidden gem. like. Automobilista, when you drive it, the feeling is great, particularly the force feedback. And then you have you have the guys from R Factor Two. Now, you, of course, you have the AMS uh, Automobilista is based on the original R Factor engine from ISI, and then R Factor Two came along, and it kind of it, it was like a slowly sinking ship, and Luminous and Studio Three Nine Seven took over and gave it a breath of life, and 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 it, people are still waiting uh, on the the new user interface, and and. It takes them a while to get the to get the cars out, and and then because it maybe maybe it takes them longer, um, due to this complex tire model, like 
we can't comment we don't know but it does take them a while and sometimes sometimes people will say well i i i bought i spent five dollars in in a set of corsa and i got five cars and now i've spent five dollars in um r factor 2 and i got one car and and indeed they recently launched the aforementioned um porsche cup car and billy strange who was formerly with inside sim racing billy strange did a review and he said ah he said ah, the car's okay but it's he was honest and billy knows his stuff he's kind of felt well the car is it's nice but it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel right for me you know so and maybe there's an element of truth in in what you're saying and and indeed that you know things are more complex and maybe maybe there's an element of the complexity meaning that the development time is taking longer if you um have a physics engine where um R factor 2 is based on uh, DirectX 11 and I believe you know they have their own their own code their own code base and sector 3's um uh, race room is based on DirectX 9 and, and they have their system so it's a it's a very interesting topic that you brought up given how automobilista like I don't know it, it seems to be a, a, an easier model to work with and the driving experience was so good whereas R Factor 2 seems to be more complicated but the ro- results seem to vary a lot from the from the reviews and stuff and, and, and things I read people dif- different different people saying you know yeah, yeah, and and it's I always find it funny and just and well funny and also very sort of a big compliment that people say that automobilista has pretty consistent uh, handling from car to car. Mm, it does, which in, in in my opinion is is not true, but of course having made some of those cars and that's also why I think so strongly about having the physics models being complex up to a point that automobilista and game stock are. Uh, it's been an eight or nine year run. So the first cars we did, we, especially me, my knowledge of certain things like aerodynamics and, and suspensions was way different and probably inferior to my knowledge today. Yeah. But we cannot really keep everything up to date as simple as it, as that because Renato has changed the AI, I've changed the physics. And if I update the physics in a way, then the AI will be messed up. So it's very hard to go back to the old stuff and improve it. Now, we did a reasonable job, thankfully, according to lots of people who enjoy playing uh, and, and the driving experience in AMS. But yes. I feel really frustrated when I see the game now, knowing how much better it would probably be, or at least how much happier I would be with a whole different system of doing the physics because I mentioned with the the historics mod for R Factor, yeah, I created m- multiple cars from one uh, spreadsheet, and with Automobilista, I had my latest spreadsheet that only did one car in in great detail and all that is very uh, useful, but only one car. Mm. And the downside of that is, if you make a single seater uh, using that spreadsheet, it works well. That's fine. And then five years later. You spreadsheet is better. You make a single seater, the same car. It will be different because knowledge has improved. Uh, we added cool stuff to the physics engine. But that old old car you made five years ago isn't easy to update. And the way I see it now, I really think very strongly about this. And I think it's also the reason why lots of racing games have sort of inconsistent handling from car to car. You hear it from, uh, I think, every sim. People yes. complain sometimes it's it's the people 
who all just cannot time. drive certain cars. But there is an element of truth in it because managing all the cars, look at Project Cars 2, the car list. I just scrolled through it the other day. I was just going An to amazing. Yeah. Yeah. All those cars are just amazing, but having to make physics for them is uh, really complicated. So what I would do, and that's sort of what I'm, my, my view, if, if you wish, for, for the future, uh, which is sadly not for me, AMS 2, we'll probably get to that uh, later. But We will, is yeah. Yeah. Making a tool, uh, I, I really strongly believe this, and I hope to prove it at some point, or at least put it to, to the test. Yeah. Uh, make one sort of ultra spreadsheet where all the cars in the entire game sit in the in the one spreadsheet. And if you update your physics engine, you add a turbo model, for example. Yeah. You update your spreadsheet to put out the numbers for the turbo and make like, just like I said with the tires, low grip, high grip based on its, the tire size. Way more complex than that, of course. But then you assign turbo properties based on some rules and formulas. And then each car will get a turbo. And then you drive those cars and you think, well, perhaps the big turbos are a bit too lazy and the small turbos pull up a bit too quick. Yeah. You change your formulas and you press apply and all the cars will have their own improved new turbo. And that way you can keep on track and on top of all the physics content as it develops and as the sim goes on for years and years. Yeah. All the cars will be updated at uh, at once, and you don't update them one by one over a long period of time. So that's an area where um, you need very good physics models, but not necessarily ones that are too complicated to put in a spreadsheet or need a PhD to understand. So there's an optimum point that's somewhere where uh, it might benefit to have the simpler-ish it's, it's, you know, when I say simpler and I show you my spreadsheet, I don't think there are that many people who would say, oh, it's simple. Of course so it's not like simple, simple. It's not arcade no. simple. It's really complicated. But a better way, a more efficient way of working, shall we say. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. And it's always like, it's always the case. I noticed it like a, there's news on racedepartment.com and somebody and the developer will say, okay, well, we've added a new GT3 car and we've changed this. Sector 3 have added a classic DTM car and we've changed this. Okay, so if you've changed this, does that mean you're going back through all the cars in that class and changing those? Oh yes, we will when we get round to it. And it happens all the time. So it's interesting yeah. that you bring up that point. And specifically Project Cars 2. Project Cars 2 is the one title everybody says where there's complete, it's completely inconsistent. Some cars are great, some cars are not. It's a title I can't really get on with. I don't know why. I find the force, force feedback system so complex. And now, of course, we have... Uh, and now, on a side note, I would love to know how Renato and the guys got on with developing for R Factor 2, but that's another topic for another day. It's interesting now that um, Renato and the guys are working with, with this uh, madness engine for Slightly Mad Studios for Automobilista 2. Now, I've, I've made some notes on this and I was kind of wondering. Now, obviously... The expectation will be, and there's a lot of, not I won't say hype, but there's a lot of anticipation for the title, given the quality of game Stock Car and Automobilista, and indeed the work that you've done on those games, that, that the quality of Automobilista 2 will be quite high. And I'm wondering, the guys are using um, Slightly Mad's engine. Obviously, it, it has day and night transitions and, and, and weather effects. I mean, uh, 
R Factor 2 has night nighttime and rain, facilitated of course by DirectX 11. Automobilista 2 will of course will have day and night, rain and wind and snow and so on. It'll be interesting to see how that goes and I'm also interested to see for example, now I haven't looked it up but in terms of publishing, will Automobilista 2 end up on consoles and I hope that it will. Yeah, I, I'm not really that involved with them uh, anymore. So I, those details, I, I, I don't know. But the inconsistency that you mentioned from uh, Project Cars 2, I haven't played it myself, but I, I've heard lots of people say that. It's, you know, those games, uh, I haven't been part of the development team, team at all, but the amount of work you have to do to get a game like that finished with so many cars, it's it's an immense job. And I think with... The task that they had it was just very hard to and perhaps they didn't have the, the tools that i so fondly uh sort of uh mentioned i would like to have for myself just yes. uh, a few minutes ago but it doesn't mean that the potential isn't there because if you look back to the original r factor the mm. first few years the mods were there was a porsche cup mod with the engine in the front because yeah that felt better so we just put the engine in the front <laughs> instead of the back exactly yeah yeah so there is there is an element of subjectivity always but mm. it doesn't go as far as well it feels better if we make the rear engine car or front engine car that's of course okay you're doing something wrong somewhere or there's there is an error somewhere but at the end r factor had some great uh, content and great mods so the physics engine that you use i'm very convinced is only at best half of uh, the what you're going to get. The other half is just knowing it well and, and understanding it well and putting in the right numbers. Exactly. So yeah. just the fact that, that Project Cars 2 has some good cars means that in theory, they can all be great. Mm. And uh, I know that uh, Renato uh, and, and the guys are extremely hard on it and also found a way to sort of migrate the content to some extent. Uh, from from AMS to their end to the other engine, the, the Madness engine. Yes. So, which is at some point, I don't know the details, but it also started at least uh, with uh, uh, R factor type ISI base. Now they've added lots of things and moved removed lots of things and then added more things over the years. But somewhere in there, there, there I'm sure there's still some uh, ISI physics uh, code. I think so. Yes. So they can uh, they can achieve. Uh, the engine is not going to be the limiting factor and the fact that there is a game that was in slightly you know amazing in many ways and then inconsistent and perhaps frustrating in some other ways yeah it's more down to the lack of time and the people who just couldn't get to the point they would i'm sure they would have all liked uh yes, at, at the cars yeah. two studios all the cars to be amazing but yes the reality of having a publisher and the time constraints just probably didn't allow them to and tying themselves to a release date and maybe trying to be, shall I say, all things to all men, trying, trying to have classic and modern and, and basically not, not getting the time to finish and then having a, sh a publishing schedule and then a DLC also to add. Now, one question I had actually, and I remember kind of, I, I noted things from memory and it comes back to, um, this is related to your hardware business and game titles. I remember uh, Jamie, Jimmy Broadbent, I think if I remember correctly, there was one stage where it must have been, it must have been two, three, four years ago, uh, Jimmy's pedal set broke. And I think you guys just up and sent him a set of uh, Husingfeld pedals. Wasn't it so? Which was great, by the way. And 
I've noticed recently Jimmy was playing uh, WRC8 uh, from from um, Big Ben and Kyleton and he noted I think I think Jimmy added another rig setup in his shed and he was trying to play WRC8 with his with his setup I think his his uh, direct drive wheel and his Husingfeld pedals and it wasn't working and so he had to um he had to switch to his other rig to get it to work and it's something I wanted to ask you about I'm kind of curious and I had it I had it noted here as a question in terms of when a new title comes out and it comes back to uh, sim titles becoming more uh, more complicated and there's so many titles coming out right now you know the well there's there's grid is more arcadey but there's project cars and automobilista and R Factor and, and Race Room and, and Dirt Rally and so when a publisher, a developer is is making a game and you, you have um hardware available that you know that may or may not be supported, do the do the game developers contact you in terms of creating a profile for your hardware so your hardware is compatible or how does or or is the how does the actual process go if there's such a process in place? Yes, a very good question. Uh, because in when you look back at sim racing, this has never been an issue because all the hardcore sims allow you to have well, R Factor only allowed you to have three uh, USB controllers hooked up. Yeah. And in AMS, we, we upped it to six. But if you got whatever you have, as long as it works and you can calibrate it in Windows, it'll work in the game. And it's, I think, more sort of a, a recent ish development. Uh, with perhaps the Unreal Engine and, and other engines and consoles where games are more user-friendly and this whole setup process, which can be a bit annoying with R-Factor 2 and Automobilista, you know, sometimes something doesn't quite work and do you have to edit a file or can you find it in the menu? I understand that games are more pick up and play, so they come with uh, presets. But even yeah, some of the games don't allow you to manually bind uh, controls anymore yeah. or some f weird way that i don't really understand uh, so yeah i remember we got uh, a mail from the the Perry dakar game guys and my standard reply is kind of okay guys if you if you're hardcore and you're sim racing or at least you want at least to sort of have those people play your game it is impossible to make profiles for all the hardware because Okay, at this point, Hoesigfeld is no longer small, but no. we're not the only pedal manufacturer. There are a dozen small pedal manufacturers out there and handbrake manufacturers and shifters. Yeah, so you cannot exactly, yeah. make uh, profiles for all of these. So just allow people to manually bind inputs, have your presets for the like the Logitechs and the Frustmas and the Fanatechs. Even for us, it's all fine, but allow you... Yeah, users exactly. to just yeah. assign what they have yeah. that's the message i always send back and i don't think anybody has ever listened um but that's yeah that's how the easiest way to do it and i think we did send some pedals to codemasters and we also got email from the wrc8 guys because they said well we wanted to up the re the simulation value and my, I don't really mind sending them a set of pedals but it's really not that difficult it's just an axis that goes up and down Exactly. You don't need to have the product there in order to make it work no, and no. just allow people to manually assign it. And at, at first I thought perhaps it's just the engine constraints. If you use the Unreal Engine, it sort of very much expects profiles or something. But with CardSim or CardCraft, what is the one? 
card craft, new yep. card game. Yep. It allows you to assign everything manually and it works just fine. And that's a one guy or two guy It's one game. guy, I believe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. interesting. So yeah. Codemasters is reasonable with it now. I think you can assign it properly. Mm. So it cannot be that much work for game developers to just allow uh, manual binding of controls because there's literally 200 different sim racing peripherals out there and you can never make a profile for all those 200. Yet they all behave just like a simple joystick, a direct input device. So it's not that hard. So I hope more and more of the, I don't mind the sort of more casual games uh, coming over and being more user-friendly, but spend a day or two programming in manual control assignments. And then you've got the whole DIY PC market covered. And your bases are covered and, and it's an interesting topic and uh, that's a good clarification now and, and obviously it makes sense that basically if it's a USB input device that Windows can see, let the game see it and, and bind your controls accordingly. And indeed, if I watch like William Marsh and, and Jimmy and Sean Cole from the Simpit, they're all talking about, well, I have my, I have my Fanatec podium, maybe my Leo Bodner bass or maybe my Fanatec uh, pedals or my Husingfeld pedals and trying to do, do combinations. And, and this is, it's the one thing that will, will annoy them. And this is the one thing that they'll mention because it, it kind of, uh, it frustrates them. Like you said, they're on PC, they're same racers and they want to be able to, to bind their controls. Now, I remember, um, I think you, you, you told the story of your mom, um, recording over the fascination, uh, of roof with VHS. You told the story, I think at a talk you gave at the, at the sim racing expo. So were you at the sim racing expo this year? Yeah, we are uh, frequent, frequent flyers. Uh, you could you could say. Yeah. Uh, I think this was the fifth time we were there with uh, with stand. So uh, yeah, we're it, it's a, a lot of the customers we have are from Germany. Germany is a way bigger sim racing market than than the Netherlands. Yeah. And it's great to be online because there are no uh, almost no borders, and we get orders from all over the world. Of course, thankfully, yeah. that's that's why such a business can exist. If you only ship to the Netherlands, then I would still be working from my spare room and making two pedal sets uh, a week or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So being in Germany and with lots of customers there, uh, we decided to to go there. Yeah, I'm I'm not personally a big fan of uh, of these events. Uh, I t prefer I'm always a stay at home guy. Mm. But it's good to, to, to meet up uh, with existing customers and also have potentially new ones just trying it out. And uh, there's a lot of people walking around. And for some reason, um, the internet and stuff and, and this communication that we do now, uh, you're in Finland somewhere, I'm in the Netherlands. That's something that's very new to, uh, to human evolution. Yeah, indeed. It just, it's, it's always different when you see people in the flesh. So we sell quite a few pedals to... Uh, manufacturers of, of sim rigs uh, like fasaro for example yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and they're at the expo as well and then you have a chat with the with the owner it's just better and, and different doing it face to face and it it sort of makes you uh feel like you get you get a bond and you can trust people meeting them face to face compared yeah. to just exactly. sending some emails yeah. so we're there a bit for the business side and a bit just to uh yeah. interact with uh, with the fans yeah customers. and if you do meet the people from the company and you want to call them or email them later it's easier to do so when you've met face to face now on the topic of sim racing titles maybe becoming more complex and the whole hobby or field of sim racing 
become more complex. In terms of the Sim Racing Expo in the last five years, and maybe the 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 like, you have the ultra high end stuff like the Fizarro and and virtual reality and motion rigs. Um, you've been attending the last five years, like I said. From this year, what what what's your what's your takeaway from from visiting the Sim Racing Expo in terms of how things are changed? How do you think things are in terms of Sim Racing, or where do you? think it's going and no it's it's kind of an open question of course you have you have hardware software esports and so on but what, what how do you how do you feel now you did say that the, the business of course is growing your own business which of course is great but where where do you think the next maybe i mean vr and motion rigs i guess you're only you're you're only limited by the size of your wallet but what's your what what was your takeaway on from the same making Sim Racing Expo from this year and, and how things are going and how things might be in the future. Um, yeah, good point. It's always sort of a blur because we are uh, at our stand most of the time trying to to, uh, to nurse the voice uh, through, the, through, the, through the days without, uh, without, without the voice uh, completely disappearing and it sort of all goes by in, uh, in, a, in a, bit of a, of a bit of a blur. Yeah. Uh, it, it does seem that each year it, there is some growth uh, with the exhibitors there, but I don't think it's equal to the growth that we see in, in the market. It's for us, if you start up as a small company, it's quite expensive to go to an expo like that because you're yeah. not only is it money to be there, but you're also away from doing work that results in money coming in for a few days with a few people. Mm. It does It does become quite expensive and if we just started out, we wouldn't do it because we would say, well, this is multiple thousands of euros that we way rather spent in ordering new parts than standing uh, near a Bratwurst stand in Germany. Mm. So that's, I think, what keeps the smaller places from, from coming. And for some reason, the Logitechs and, and Thrustmasters don't seem to, uh, I don't know how, if they've been approached or not, but the more mainstream stuff isn't really there it's quite why high end. Of, why not? Why is that? I wonder. I don't know. I think it's 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 only logical that you represent low end to high end at such an event. But perhaps for us, uh, the event is huge. But if Thrustmaster goes to E three or uh, or something like that, that that's a real event, and this might be small for them. But they also see that sim racing is growing. I'm pretty sure they're selling more wheels than they did. So why you not have? have uh, yeah. Yeah. But somehow they are not there, and that's a shame because mm. all the high-end stuff is is nice. But it would be nice to have it the more sort of complete uh, uh, thing. But another thing that sort of changed over the last couple of years is just the attendance for the the esports racing that they do. Because mm. like three four years ago, there were uh, races. I think mainly with i racing in, in with race room shown on the huge display at the Nurburgring. That's the the biggest LED display. I think it's like. 15 meters wide and 10 meters high or something yeah all shown there with lots of seats in front of it and perhaps 25 people were watching but two years ago there were some pretty good close races there and it was just packed all the seats were taken and people were applauding and going ooh and ah it was people became more involved watching the esports i think that because it's more of a a thing these days esports racing and and, and broadcasting racing Perhaps thanks to guys like Jimmy Broadbent, who, when they stream the twenty-four hour race, you you have five thousand or or eight thousand people exactly. watching at the end. Exactly. Yeah. 
kind of so that's the part that's def yeah that's growing definitely but the attendance at the expo uh is still mainly high end and i hope uh, it will grow and it will become more mainstream because there's absolutely nothing wrong and with with having a logitech set and you can be quicker than 99.9 percent .9 of the sim races with hardware like that it's really pretty good and there's nothing wrong with that of course yeah but you get the idea at the expo that oh i, I need 10 grand at least to buy any of the rigs here uh which is a bit i don't know if it's off-putting people know of course that cheaper stuff exists but it would be nice to have a more broad representation of the sim racing market there yeah i i, I agree and from the amount of people passing your stand how many people know of that your company exists are aware of your products how many people would say okay well would they be aware that you existed i guess if it's a high end if it's a sim racing expo is for the sim racing enthusiasts uh, i guess my question is w would most of the attendants who pass your stand talking to you and sven for example would they be aware that your products exist or or for some people maybe for some people was it are you a new company yeah for most we are uh they know us and we were really surprised to uh to arrive there and we run Automobilista. Uh, we don't pick the easiest car all the time. We have the pedal set fairly firm and the force back fairly hard. Mm. So we were thinking, okay, lots of guys will think they're good and they've never played any sim racing title and we'll have to dig them out of the gravel at turn one. But to our surprise, almost everybody got in and drove quite well. Oh, so that's evidence that, yeah, it's pretty re relatively hardcore sim races uh, were a big part of the, of the crowd. Yeah. And that's the same almost every year. So we don't get a, that many sort of new guys there, I think. It's it's like it's two-thirds or three-quarters seem to know what they're doing. Mm. Uh, whereas if you're just interested in sim racing and you've seen Jimmy Broadbent or uh, Gamer Muscle and you think, hey, this is fun, I should do that, but I've never done this before, we don't seem to have a lot of those people come uh, come to the expo. So oh, maybe that's the reason why the, the Thrustmaster and the Logitechs don't have such a presence because their market isn't there, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, perhaps, mm. but yeah. yeah. Still, it's a it's shame. It's also, mm. uh, yeah, it, it seems like a huge event when you're there, but of course, it's uh, it, it for sim racing terms, it is the only expo type event that I know of. There isn't one but in the not, States it, anyway, yeah. Mm. Yeah, but it's not like you go to uh, E3 or uh, or a car show, Birmingham or whatever. That's no. it's it's tiny, absolutely tiny compared mm. to any other expo, like E3 or Gamescom or 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 Tokyo yeah, Game yeah. Show. And uh, and then I guess you you have a setup in in your office where you work or set up at home and and uh, um, like do you do you actively sim race yourself? What gear do you have? What titles do you play? Do you actively follow uh, motor racing, real world motor racing? What kind of what kind of uh, genres do you follow? Or yeah, interesting. I'm 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 just looking, glancing to my left, and there is a sim rig. Mm -hmm. uh, it won't be a, a surprise that it's uh, one of our rigs with uh, ultimate pedals. Yeah, and uh, the one of two functional H pattern shifters uh, <laughs> prototypes that are slowly wearing, but still. Uh, still better than uh, than the alternatives yeah so it's 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 reasonably high end from that regard but i'm still using my 60 hertz 1080p 27 inch monitors that i bought in 2008 yeah or nine yeah so they're really old i'm contemplating going uh high refresh rate but 
Yeah. Currently, I have the first generation sim steering with the biggest motor. So it's the 26 Newton meter one. Yeah. But if I twist my neck even further, I see a brand new SimuCube 2 Pro wheel uh, behind me. So we, I'm going to try that out. Oh, cool. Because the first generation of Leo Botnar uh, sim steering wheel, especially with the big motor, there is a bit of cogging. You feel the, the sort of notches a little bit. Mm. And it completely goes away if you use the big motor for what it's meant, big forces. Then the, the, the cogging is only a small part of the total picture. But if you drive a power-assisted road car in a sim, yeah, you feel it's a bit grainy. And the new Sim Steering 2 is way better. So don't think that Sim Steering is coggy and not, not at all. But my old system uh, is a little bit, yeah. but it's way improved with the new one. Yeah. But I'm curious how the new uh, SimuCube is. So uh, that's uh, a slight advantage of having a business in Sim Racing. You can uh, order it on the business and then uh, test it out. And it's. Uh, Exactly. And of course, Simicube, it, sorry, Simicube is manufactured by Granite Devices here in Tampere in Finland. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Locally. And yeah, yeah. My first uh, sim steering wheel from uh, Leo Botner actually used the Granite uh, servo controller because the ah, first yes. generation uh, did it. Actually, there are probably three generations of sim steering, even though yeah. it's only counting up to two. But the absolute first ones, which I had originally is uh, using one of the granite devices servo controllers yeah. then leo made his own one which was kind of funny uh i remember the old one it could get a if you steered really quickly and you had damping enabled it could go into some sort of error state uh, by turning too quickly so if you were drifting and you were had like a panic moment yeah the force back would sort of turn itself off because the servo controller saw something that it didn't like and I remember uh, getting the updated sim steering one. Is it because the previous one was sort of sim, steer, sim steering zero in a way? Yeah. And when I got the upgrade to the 1.0, I asked Leo, so will I get the error message or the error code when I uh, steer too fast? And he said, there are no error codes. It, it's not, it doesn't know any error codes. So <laughs> he, he simplified it a little bit from, from, all, from that side and made it his own uh, servo controller. And it was funny that what error error codes I don't have that. So what it are you work. talking about? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And are, are you using a, a a series of of wheels, or the, do you have a a um, a, a standard uh, circular wheel, or do you have a GT style rim, or what do you what do you use as a rule? Uh, for for the longest time, I used a modified uh, or sort of a dismantled G twenty five steering wheel, actually, which I took off my G twenty five when it died. Yes. So I had my my sim steering system. Uh, I bought it in 2011. Yeah. It's quite old. And since, well, you can imagine at that point, uh, I had my wooden MDF rig, and well, I, I had some money, but yeah. most of it went to the sim steering system, which was uh, three thousand euros back then, I think. Yes. So I I thought, well, let's just make uh, do with the G25 steering wheel. Yes. Um, then I had a job with uh, Guido van der Garde, Formula One, uh, brief Formula One driver for, uh, uh, where, did, where did he drive? The green car, uh, the Jaguar. Yeah, sorry, that, that came from very deep. Yeah. Um, he wanted to do some uh, sim upgrades and he uh, was then moving to uh, Sauber. And Sauber made him a 3D printed replica of the actual 
2013 or 14 wow. Formula One wheel. Nice. And I actually got it from Sauber. So I have a letter somewhere that I kept from uh, from Sauber F1. Hi, Niels. Here's the steering wheel. And I soldered all the buttons to a uh, Leo Bodnar uh, USB board. And that meant his old wheel, Guido's old wheel, was uh, left over and I got it. Okay. It's an cool. old uh, Arc wheel ARC. They're Italian. They don't make it anymore. Mm-hmm. So it, it has pedal shift and some buttons. Uh, that's the main wheel I use for uh, single seaters. And uh, it's too small for GT cars, but I don't have an alternative. So that's also what ah, I use okay. for GT cars. So, so basically, Sauber 3D printed the rim and they sent it to you. And you actually, you put you assembled the functionality, so to speak, to set up the rig for yeah. him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and do you use the, um, I don't have a, a direct drive, but, um, you know, you have, like people say, I think it's something like, it's like six or eight newton meters is all you really need. Do you do you run the force feedback, and it's a direct drive? Do you run the forces quite high, or how do you actually like to do it? It really depends on on the car that you're driving. Yeah. Uh, from if you're looking at sim racing as a game and you just want to feel the enough detail and be quick and do an endurance race, there's no need for uh, high torque. No, but exactly, yeah. uh, it. Totally depends. Real racing cars that have no power assistance and lots of downforce, the steering can indeed get easily to the level of the 26 Newton meter that this sim steering can do. And I think 25 or 26 for the Simu Q Pro as well. That is no exception and it is not strange or impossible. It's really, yeah, it's possible and it will happen. Uh, GP2 car, for example, has no power steering. And if you see those guys, they're quite small in, uh, in length. <laughs> But they have the muscles. Uh, it's really, really tough. Fighting to, uh, the wheel, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So if for realism, uh, yeah, you do really have to uh, work the steering wheel in, in certain cars. In, in mm. IndyCar as well, they no, have no power steering. Big, heavy cars with lots of downforce. It's, it's really physical and, and really hard work. And that's something when you go from a G25, which I had for, for quite a few years, my first four-seat-back wheel. Yeah. And then the first second you you feel the direct drive wheel, it's way better than the price difference. So it's 10 times more expensive, but it's easily 20 times better. And the prices of them have come down. I've noticed, of course, and, and, and they're still high end, but the prices have changed. Like you talked about spending, what, what three grand X number of years ago for the, for the sim steering setup. Um, and... It's interesting now because you have the you you before you would have the the direct drive unit and then the the the, the box whereas now it's kind of all in one semi cube is an all in one Fanatec podium is an all in one so it really has it, the 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 hardware capability really has improved relatively quickly hasn't it Yeah it certainly has or at least uh with direct drive wheels I don't think I have yet to try it, but I, I doubt that the Simu Cube or the, the new Fanatic wheel will be that much better than a Sim Steering 2. No. But at a third or a half the price, the value is, of course, way better. So I'm really looking forward to uh, to having a go at installing the Simu Cube and seeing uh, what it can do. Because price performance wise, it's uh, they've made such a big step. I have no regrets being an early adopter uh, eight no. years ago and paying uh, paying yeah. everything for it. but. It's yeah. great to see that it's the price of a, a graphics card and a and a good monitor together. Mm-hmm. Is you can almost get a direct drive. 
system for it that's uh, amazing so the more people can that can experience the fidelity yeah the better i actually speaking of monitors i'm on a single 1080p screen as well and i've noticed something i've been thinking about i've noticed you mentioned the the the, the monitor it seems to be that these curved screens seem to be a good option now rather rather than uh, now those people of course many of them also use vr but these these BenQ or, or Samsung, these 34, 35-inch monitors, those seem to be good from a field-of-view point of view. I know that uh, Billy Strange has one and Michi Heuer from Germany has one and Gavin Muscle was also recently uh, testing out one. So those, those look interesting. So I think from, from a use of space point of view and if you want to have three screens, I don't have VR, and if you want to have three screens, you need to be able to mount them accordingly. So those... Um, Wide screen, wide aspect ratio monitors, twenty one point nine, and some of them are, are high refresh rates. Those those look quite interesting to me. Yeah, I think that's a good sort of screen to have as well. Mm. Uh, these days, you can even get thirty two by nine screens, I believe, yeah. just like two monitors uh, side by side. Uh, yeah, like I said, my monitors are very old and sixty hertz. That's I'm mine. no. Mm no better with a high frequency high free, high refresh screen but at the office we have high refresh ones with a higher resolution and g-sync yes the smoothness is just way way better that's that's really nice but with triple screen the bezels are always there and it's despite having used it for almost 10 years it's not completely intuitive and it would be better not to have the bezels and in that sense Having one ultra-wide monitor, you sacrifice field of view, but looking to the apex is more natural than with a triple screen if you are a bit confused by the bezel. So I'm not sure what I would do if I would upgrade my uh, my rig, go for the ultra-wide or uh, go with triple uh, high refresh rate screens. It's yeah. a bit, it's hard to say because you, there is something to be said for the nearly 180 degree field of view you get with a proper triple screen mounts as well. That is true. So it's uh, that's a good point. And yeah. VR has its has its pros and cons as well. So it's really always a compromise with the display yeah. technology. Whether you go VR, triple screen, single screen, nothing is perfect. Set. Oh, it's like it's. It, I always say every setup, every setup is like snowflakes. They're they're individual and it depends on how much you can spend. And actually, I I, I don't have a direct drive. I actually I have <laughs> I have a Thrustmaster T three hundred and uh, that broke. And a, a, a long story short, basically, it was a warranty replacement. It was only a year old, so Thrustmaster it wouldn't wouldn't um, um, fix it for me. So um, I have a friend who can solder, so I I tried to fix it by replacing a, 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 an opto isolator on the on the power supply, but that didn't fix it. So I I think actually, and mm. I, I think what I need is what I should have done is is uh, taken a voltage meter. And checking there's actually power coming into the into the main board so that's something i'm working on and what i did actually i bought a, i bought a, a thrustmaster a tspc racer uh, from a guy in in scotland via ebay so it's a long story short so so i still have a i must do a video on it someday it's like a ghetto setup you know the you know how uh, carlsberger heineken have the probably the best beer in the world i'm going to do like a probably the saddest sim rig you've ever seen but anyway but it <laughs> it works for me given 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 the setup that i have and niels what what games do you like to play i mean it's, it's of course time is limited but what what titles do you like to play mostly right now or what's your what, what what's your favorite to play when you have time um 
this may come as a huge shock, but it's typically automobilista. Yeah. Uh, the uh, when you make physics, it's it can be quite difficult. At least that's what how I experience it to spend too long with with cars that you haven't made yourself. It's interesting. Every now and then I try iRacing, and every now and then I hop in uh, Assetto Corsa, and I, uh, it's always fun initially, and then. I get a little frustrated or I wonder how, I wonder how they did this or how they did that. Yeah. And I, I seem to get the most enjoyments from making a, a car for automobilista just as a hobby. So not, not even the release cars, but just messing continuously messing with cards or with the, the boxer cup. I recently updated for myself yes. a little bit. Yeah. That's what I find the most satisfying. Uh, when you think of some new idea of how the tires might be slightly better or different, uh, implement it, try it out. Uh, that's really uh, the most satisfying for me. So that's how I spend most of my uh, my time. And every now and then I try R Factor Two and Assetto Corsa. At the office we have uh, we had a little competition with Assetto Corsa with the Formula One, uh, the Ferrari 2015 car that's in there. I think. Yes, it is. Yeah. On, yep. on an insane mountain track that makes absolutely no sense to drive a Formula One car at, but no. it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So each each game has their pros and cons, but. Uh, I racing always frustrates me. Uh, I really hope that new tire model is better, but I also doubt that after ten years, suddenly they do things the way I would like to do it. Mm. And I'm not even talking about realism because at some point I don't know what realism is, and we all strive for the realism with all the sims. I think they all want realism, but there is enough of a subjective element to tires and aero, for for example, that even sims that all set out to do the same thing feel quite different and in my views and well almost beliefs because it's very hard to to pinpoint how it actually should be uh iRacing has always been too tricky uh, to drive at the limit and that there's always been optimistic about a new version of the tire model and then i spend money on a car and a track initially enjoying it but then i get to the limit and i still find that it's different from what, how i would do it yeah. so sooner or later with most games i get a bit I wouldn't say frustrated, that's too negative, but I see the amazing laser scan tracks and the audio I like a lot in, in iRacing. And of course, the online competition is amazing. But if I cannot, like how I started talking about wanting to go sideways, like the roof fascination video, if I cannot do that uh, in the cars where you can expect to be doing that, mm. then I get frustrated. I, I would really like the cars at the limit to be somewhat controllable. And that's where iRacing is... Uh, Sort of losing it despite all the other positives that it has yeah. r factor 2 and of course are way better so r factor 2 is a lot of fun i tried the uh, gt3 car uh, a couple of years ago two years one year ago yeah they had the mclaren they had this competition fastest gamer and i was definitely not the fastest gamer but <laughs> i spent a day or two with that and it was way more intuitive to drive than uh, than i racing and a lot more yeah. a lot more fun mm. and i said the Corsa as well is a lot more forgiving and drivable also weird at times, you know, but being a physics guy, I always sort of hard to enjoy a game because I'm always thinking what's going on behind the scenes that I have no control over. So yeah. that makes it a little short-lived usually, the games that I play. And it's funny, I, I, as somebody who, who, who makes videos for YouTube and I uh, have to admit, not so frequently right now, but every time I, I, a new, new piece of content comes out, it's like, well, okay, well... I, I, I want to just sit down and, and, and drive. I, I've I've come to the point where I just sit down and enjoy it rather than, okay, well, oh, maybe this is interesting and, and, and 
maybe there's a story here i make i make a video i have to kind of let myself just that's what i was doing with the um I bought the, the Nürburgring Nordschleife for R-Factor 2 and the cup car and I just wanted to say, okay, well, I'm going to go in here, shut the door, turn the lights off, put my headphones on and just drive and not worry about making a video. Just just ha- have fun and enjoy it. And like I said, uh, Billy Strange mentioned, oh, this this new cup car in, in, in Nürburgring Nordschleife, it'd be great if the base setup, you know, was better, but you can always... You can always set it up as you want, but I don't have a clue. So <laughs> even if even if I was to make a change, let's say, well, like I know how to change the tire compound and I know how to change, for example, the different amounts of fuel. But in terms of um, uh, and traction control and brake bias and ABS, if applicable, but otherwise I don't really have a clue and, and, and it would be hard enough for me to find the time to spend enough time to kind of notice the differences, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but sometimes you also shouldn't overestimate the opinion of of a sim a fellow sim racer. Mm, and that's true. And it's it's very hard to pinpoint okay, who whose opinion do we trust and who is right and who isn't. And uh, perhaps one yeah. sim racer says, uh, I, I really love the, the Porsche Cup car in RF2. Another one says, Well, I don't really know, it's a bit weird here and there. Uh, of course, they have test drivers themselves at, at RF2. They do. It's yep. it's very subjective. Not only making the physics, like I said, is always a subjective layer, but the experience you get playing it is another big subjective layer uh, that that you add. So it's really hard to go by reviews or by what people say, because some people uh, just experience it differently based on the hardware that you have. I mean, your setup. It, it it has nothing to do with how much you can enjoy sim racing, Not but the experience Not with with uh, an entry level rig, the car just feels different from a higher end rig with better wheel and pedals. So yeah, if true. you would change rigs, you would also change opinions on each car you've ever driven because they feel differently. So it's really hard to to go by uh, by what people think about cars, and it's hard to tell. For me, and I tell my kids, it's like driving a car. Driving a car I'll never drive in a place I'll most likely never visit, you know? And I'm kind of, I'm just endlessly, I'm endlessly curious and the place I've been working at, like, I, I want to know, you know, what's coilover suspension and, and, you know, what's the difference between inline and V and, and, and like, that's, that's, and that's, it's like, it's like you trying to figure out, you know, uh, take the excels and figure out, okay, well, how do I, how do I work out the physics for, for R factor? For me, it's like, okay, well, I'm interested in this and, and gaming has gone such a such a such a point where stuff is kind of photorealistic if you will and, and now there's there's YouTube and stuff and I want I'm constantly trying to to uh, uh, figure stuff out and maybe it's a case of of the day the day you're not figuring stuff out is the day you can kind of give up if you know what I mean you know yeah that's that's true and that's at any level that's you know as that's fine uh, in the sense that everybody enjoys things in a different way and perhaps the guys who don't worry as much about the car setup or trying to find if it's completely accurate or not the ones who don't worry about that might be having a better time than those who do probably so so indeed yeah, yeah. and i and i it's a case where for most of the real racing drivers they will say well there's no there's no feeling in the seat of your pants so they will just most of them will just use it for learning tracks and it's not the same as as driving the real thing and and but but for 
I guess it's for me. It's a, it's an it's an experience I can have at home for for X amount of of money, and 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 it's also you know it's it's got it's gotten me into motorsport that I wasn't really into before, and you know and 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 like last night I was looking at um the original Le Mans from 1971 with Steve McQueen, and I can watch that yeah. now. I watch that now, and and I know what the car is, and like when I watch the. Uh, CTR, rough CTR, the number ring. I know what a uh, nine eleven, and I know I, I understand so much more. So it's it's I appreciate it more now that I can watch, like I can watch Steve McQueen and know well that's the Porsche nine six two or the nine oh eight long tail and I and Le Mans and stuff. And so I think I think for me that that's 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 what it's all about. And uh, uh, a, a final note, I guess I did a um, tutorial for our fact for I said of course it's about an hour long, and I got a comment from somebody. Saying, oh, I just got a, a, a Logitech 920, G920, and I just bought a Seta Corsa, and that's a six-year-old title. And thank you so much for your, your tutorial. Tutorial yeah, that gets me started. And for me, that's what it's all about. That's somebody who who you know who's getting into sim racing now. They bought a wheel. They got the game. Like I mean, so many of us now we bought a Seta Corsa when it first came out, and we've we've had we have all the DLC and all the content and. We have the 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 content manager and the shaders patch, and for many of us, I, I said of course it's still active title, but it's not being developed because because uh, Kunas and the Kunas have moved on. But it's interesting to see that there's somebody there on the internet, some random person who who just getting started and 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 and, and they're getting enjoyment out of it. And and my tutorial that I created helped them. And and I guess. You know that's what it's all about for me. It's it's being part being part of the community, and it comes back to what you said earlier about like if you wanted to find out something about a a tire or whatever, you would talk to Renato or somebody from um from Studio Three Nine Seven and so on, and and knowledge sharing and sharing information and being being part of the community for me that's the most important thing. You know. Yeah, and it's great that you that you do that and streamers like Jimmy Broadbent who is like he has exploded with with subscribers absolutely and, mm. and with uh, YouTube and tutorial videos because some like we also discussed some of the sims can be a bit tricky to set up it's great that there is content out there uh, that makes it easier and that guys like Jimmy infuse guys who probably never had a wheel to oh the sim racing looks interesting yes make it more accessible uh, like that so it's it's a great time uh, with all the youtube and stuff to compare to when we were young we we had to figure out ourselves because there was nothing uh, out there no internet to help us and now whatever question you have or whatever car you want to drive is probably available for Santa Corsa or Factor 2 exactly so exactly. you you, yeah. you could actually watch uh, Le Mans and then I get it, get the itch, and you can probably download a Porsche 917 and and Le Mans for Asset Corsa and be driving the car half an hour later. That's just really a, a really cool thing. There's even actually a, there's even a classic Le Mans pack for uh, for Project Cars too, uh, funnily enough. And uh, and of course the content is all available is available for Asset Corsa. Niels, we've been talking for over two hours now, and it's been a, a fascinating it's been a fascinating conversation. Yeah. Uh, we, we 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 could go on but uh we, i think we'll, we'll have to call it a night and we shall we shall uh, i want to hear i want to hear your thoughts on the semicube so we should talk again or or maybe if you get some kind of a uh 
maybe just a, a quick video someday of the Simic Cube with with AMS. I'll be I'll be interested to see your thoughts on the gear, you know, because it's 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 always good to get somebody's opinion on 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 the latest stuff, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely thinking of doing that because uh, one of the interesting things with Automobilista, the go karts that I've sort of continuously tweaking with, mm. in other words, making making better and then making it worse and then making it better again, and then at the end it's pretty much the same as it as it was before. That's the true story of physics development, really. But it's very direct, of course, a, a kart, and at some force level, the old sim steering system and also the new one. It's not weird, but they can oscillate a little bit more than you yeah. would like to, like a sort of a vibration. And mm -hmm. I'm really curious to see if the SimuCube, which they market like a low latency mode and stuff, if it actually makes a difference. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, comparing them. And I will, if I'm positive about it, I will definitely do a, a video uh, explaining it yeah. and uh, talking about it. Yeah. I'm sure the guys in Tampere here in Finland will be delighted to hear your feedback. Niels, uh, thank you for joining. It's been a wonderful conversation. I've really had fun having a chat with you. And, and thank you again for joining. It's been great. Yeah, likewise. It was really enjoyable. And it, we did indeed go on for over two hours. But I think at some point I warned you this would never end. So <laughs> at least that was accurate. <laughs> you did. You were, you, were, you were true to your word. I'll give you that. So thanks again. <laughs> All right. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye, Davey. Is that the is that the outro music? Do 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 do.